give my end of time. Good afternoon, everyone. Let's be uh, opening up our Bibles to John 15. Hopefully we'll get our technical side going here. There we go. And I want us to look just at this last parable of Jesus chronologically. Um, he's actually now in, uh, we're going to be looking in, uh, in John 17, uh, sorry, John 15. He's already had the Lord's Supper together with his disciples. Uh, they've already had some discussion. And now they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where there's going to be a time of prayer. And he uses this opportunity to tell a parable that really, I think, embodies um, what is the most important. And, uh, you know, I've been kind of thinking about last words. Um, It is kind of, uh, after being here for nine years, it's kind of amazing to think we're actually leaving. Um, You can sit in our house, it becomes quite apparent Because we actually shipped away everything except uh, two suitcases each. And anything else that you can kind of see is is staying. And uh, the next uh, inhabitants of the house may just toss it. I don't know, but uh, uh, we're living in that situation right now. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting because you think about, you know, we're having sort of final conversations. We're very grateful, Tammy and I, to the alumni students who've come back for uh, yesterday and today just to spend some time and... And James with the deep voice, who no one can forget, uh, he was here on Friday evening with us, but then had to go to work, so wasn't able to stay. And, and uh, you know, we had this message, even Sarah D'Souza sent uh, sort of via video a message, thanks to Senya for putting that together, very grateful. But you know, saying goodbye is tough, isn't it? And the thing is about saying goodbye is it makes you think about what is the most important. What is the most important thing to say? And though this is a, a very uh, interesting parable talking about the vine and talking about the branches and the fruit, the essence of this parable really boils down to realize how much God loves you, realize how much I love you, and please love each other. You know, that's really his last words. You know, it kind of reminds me if a, a parents are going away on holiday and they have children at home, you know, and you're leaving them with a babysitter, well, you know, that little last beg... Can you, uh, can you be good, please? Can you do the right things? And uh, really, what Jesus is asking us is so awesome. Because it wasn't this incredibly burdensome task. It was, in fact, a beautiful thing. That actually, we would love the way that He's loved us. But the truth is, I think, we sometimes don't appreciate just how much that love cost. And I appreciate Andrew's thoughts around the communion. It cost the blood of the Son of God. It it cost His death for us to be atoned. For us to be forgiven of our sins. And that's an amazing picture and and it's very big also here in John 15. So we're going to actually, rather than me read John 15, we're just going to sort of enjoy a video presentation of it. So uh, we'll watch that together. You have made a dream of it, but you shall have given it. 
You know, all of that was really to talk to us about love. And it's really interesting to think about this parable because he talks about this gardener, who we know is his father, setting everything up, preparing this amazing plan. But he also says that he is the only vine, that Jesus is the only way to fulfill God's actual plan for our lives. You know, a lot of us spend a lot of time figuring out what to do with our lives, right? You know, a, a number of the students are graduating. What's next? And some are already deciding on more school. God bless you. You know, more education. But others are thinking, hey, let's, you know, let's go get a job. And some are, are single and looking for spouses. And they're thinking about the future. And some are, you know, some are married and, 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 and wanting children and et cetera, et cetera. Things, you know, we're always looking to the future. And we're looking for purpose. We're looking for understanding. But Jesus in this parable is telling us that there's only one way to actually fulfill the plan that God has for us. And that is through Jesus Christ. That He is the only vine. Let's read again John 15 verses 1 to 3. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You know, God is in charge of this universe. He made it. And and He's the one that knows why He made it. He knows why each one of us is here. 
He has a plan for each one of us. And that plan is that we should bear some kind of fruit. He hasn't identified that fruit yet. But he's making it very clear that God has a plan for us. And it's very intentional. In fact, he says, if we're going to bear fruits, there's going to have to be some pruning. And pruning is when you cut off the unnecessary branches. You cut off the things that are distracting you from what is primary in your life. And we need these things sometimes just to refocus You know, it's amazing uh, when we're ill, how we can't wait to get better. And there's all these things we want to do when we're better, right? And one of the things I think we tell ourselves, I'm going to be more grateful about being well as soon as I'm feeling better. Have you ever had that occurrence? You ever notice like three days into being better again, you remember, wait a second, I really haven't thanked God about being well. It's interesting how the pruning in life, the difficulties... And, you know, we're not going to look at the scriptures or in your notes, but 2 Timothy 3 talks about God's word is a way that we can be pruned. It can trim us. It can cut things out. It can rebuke. It can correct. In Romans chapter 15, he says the word of God encourages. It's not always sort of that negative edge. Sometimes we're encouraged into a better place with him. And then also it says in Hebrews 12 that when you go through difficulty... That God is actually there with you. He has a purpose for your pain. And then in Acts 17, it says that when God created the world, He had a plan for every person. You know, the fact that you are here today is somehow connected to God's plan for you. God has a plan setting the times and places of various events in your life because He wants you to come to Him. So God is a gardener. But he's looking at us and he sees us as branches. And for branches to grow, for branches to produce fruit, they have to be connected to something. And according to God, that something is Jesus. Let's just read a little further in John 15, verse 4. He says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, this this bearing of fruit is coming up a lot, isn't it, so far in this passage? But what he's saying is, if you want to bear the fruit that God intended, there has to be a connection. You have to remain in me, Jesus said. You just look at all these times he says, remain in me. Because it is a choice. God miraculously puts us into the vine. We receive salvation through the blood of Jesus, and it's a miracle. But to be, for the God's plan to be fulfilled in a day-to-day way in each of our lives, we must remain in Him. There's got to be that connection. And that connection will make all 
the difference. Now, God offers us salvation through the new covenant. Jesus, when he took the fruit of the vine, said, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you. There's a covenant involved because God is extending to us an offer of salvation, but we must reply. Covenants are two people in agreement. Now, God paid the price for the most amazing covenant ever made. The forgiveness of our sins. The offer of eternal life. But it's still two ways. We must remain in Him. And then He will remain in us. You know, throughout the Bible, marriage is compared to a covenant relationship with God. And even in Ephesians 5, in teaching about marriage, He said, I know this is a mystery. And He's been talking about a man and a woman, how the two become one. He said, but really this is talking about Christ and the church. This is the kind of connection that God wants for each one of us with Him. You know, I have a little bit of an interesting document there. That's our wedding certificate. Now, there's two secrets on that wedding certificate. One is my wife's former middle name. You know, as American citizens, as you change your name when you get married, you actually have a freebie to change your, your, your whole name. And Tammy was Doreen, and she doesn't really like Doreen, but I married Tammy Doreen. Okay? That's what it says right there. She became Tammy Taxter next time the passport came up, but Tammy Taxter Fleming. But Tammy Doreen. But that's one of the little secrets. Sorry, dear. The other secret is our wedding date is actually the 20th of February, not the 21st. You look right there. Now, that wedding certificate is in Swedish because we were married in Sweden. And those stamps on the sides are translations proving matching Russian and English translations because wherever we've gone somewhere and had children, we had to prove that we were married, you know, for various uh, documentary reasons. And handing around a Swedish marriage certificate doesn't do anything. So we had to get it stamped. But we were married in front of uh, a justice of the peace because in Sweden at that time, pretty much only the state church could do weddings. And if you wanted a free church to do a wedding, that's everything not not the state church. Then you would go to the justice of the peace and then you would have your sort of church wedding the next day like, like a blessing ceremony. So we counted the next day with our friends gathered and ministers. But it was kind of funny because Tammy didn't speak Swedish yet. And so uh, when, you know, obviously she was being asked, do you take this man to be your wife, uh, your, sorry, your husband? And, and do, do I take, do I take, uh, do I take her to be my wife? And what was interesting is Tammy didn't really understand the words and I gave her, I thought, really good marriage advice. Just say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I can tell you that Tammy just saying, yeah, isn't the secret to our marriage. The secret to our marriage is Christ. You know, it's now been more than 29 years and I will say this, we're as excited about our marriage today as we were the day we got married. And, and it's because God is working. But this is the day, the reason I put this up here, this is the day we became married. And uh, the next day we had our blessing with the church, and that's really the day we consider. That's the day we became one, so to speak. That was the, the night of the honeymoon, etc., etc. But you know, we became one. But i got to tell you, legally we're one, but that doesn't make us one all the time. 
You have this piece of paper that says you're one. We can prove these two people are married to each other. But a piece of paper, you know, we don't get that out every day and go, Hey, remember? <laughs> or, you know, we don't wake up in the morning and it's hanging on the wall. And we go, yep, that's what, that, that, remember that? That's, that's what it's all about. We know we got married. It, it was beautiful. You know, uh, we marched into uh, the Star Wars anthem. You know how many people do that? But, you know, we, we, we had a great wedding. I wore a white tux. Can you imagine? Yes. I actually didn't have a tie. You can imagine that. But, but all those things aside, we became one before God and before men that day. Before our friends. There, a new family was created. We became one. But the truth is, being one is something we work at every day. Being one is an ongoing process. And yes, we're one. There was a status change. But now there's the day-to-day. You know what uh, Jesus is saying to us? You've got to remain in me. If you want me to remain in you. You can back out of this relationship with me if you want to. You, you didn't become a robot the day you got baptized. You didn't lose your free will. Now sometimes, don't you wish you could lose your free will occasionally? If you, if you didn't have free will, there wouldn't be a choice. There wouldn't be temptation. You would have, it, life would be easier, but it would be pretty boring. It wouldn't be that interesting. We, we've been given a choice. And you know, the thing that makes a marriage great is the daily choice. What makes a marriage successful is faithfulness. Now, Tammy and I are living proof that perfection isn't necessary on either side to have a successful relationship. But faithfulness is. We were faithful to each other in purity before we were married, and we've been faithful to each other every day since. And that faithfulness isn't perfection, but it's a constant returning to what is right and what God has done. It really is encouraging. You know, beginning the Christian life begins with baptism. And there's obviously a few things that take place before someone gets baptized, but I just want to read this in Romans 6 verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We are therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified with Him so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You know, the only way to be freed from sin is death. And Jesus does that for us in the spiritual plane, but we still continue, we still wrestle with temptation and sin as followers of Jesus, but the blood of Jesus covers us. But there was a moment where we began. Now, just like a marriage, I didn't meet Tammy the day we got married. We'd actually met a little earlier. And most of you know the story because I actually invited her boyfriend to church. My, my favorite joke was to say that at his baptism, he said, Andy, what could I ever give you? No, he, he didn't say that, okay. But, 
But I invited her boyfriend to church. He became a Christian. Tammy tagged along. She studied the Bible. She became a Christian. Uh, they broke up. Well, that was a tragedy. But they broke up. And then we were able to, you know, start dating. And you know what? After a time, the relationship developed. And that decision, as big as it is, knowing that it's till death do us part in sickness and health, for better or for worse, in richer or poor, knowing all those circumstantial things, can't change that decision. We, we made it. And began our life together. Well, look how the Christian life begins. The Christian life begins... By Jesus first dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And that's awesome. And He's now at the right hand of God, waiting for us to gather there with Him. That's awesome. And in a spiritual sense, we're with Him in spirit at this time. As His spirit is in us, we're with Him. But it says here that when we were baptized, we also died. We died to ourselves. So that we could make a new beginning with Him. We not too long ago did have a baptism on the 4th of March. Let me show you one. You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. began right there before your eyes but you know so much more was happening than simply you're thinking why do the Flemings have a kiddie pool it's not big enough for anybody you know what's it doing there in their backyard what's the whole purpose of this because by being buried in water Jesus said do that in faith and I will work a miracle invisible to all you'll be born again in a brand new way and you'll start your life with me So we begin our life by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus, accepting responsibility for it, but we also begin this new life by dying to ourselves. But you'll think about it, those that you are married, isn't that a little bit of what you did the day you got married? You know, when you got married, you said yes to one person and no to everybody else, even everybody you've never met yet. That's the problem with a lot of marriages today. People say yes if... They don't say yes, and it's yes till death. They go yes until I don't feel it anymore. Yes until, and sadly, even being Christians, the same thing can happen in our Christian lives. We forget the one with whom we fell in love. We forget the one who died for our sins. We forget the power of that life. And we start to not remain in Him. Start to move away. You know, the secret about marriage is that you must build together every day. You must recommit every day. It's the building a life together. Becoming one isn't just a status. It's a practice. It's a daily discipline. So baptism is just the beginning. But to continue in Christ, you have to die to yourself every day. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23... If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, that sounds kind of grim, doesn't it? Are are you encouraged by that? You know, you're visiting with us today. Hey, here's my message for you. 
You've got to die to yourself. But I want to talk for a moment about not the dying, but the new life that comes as a result. Because what Jesus is saying is, if you die to yourself, I can give you life. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. Well, what is this fruit he's talking about? You know, it's interesting, for the rest of this passage, verses 9 to 17, one of the words that keeps coming up is love. Jesus hadn't used the word yet, but now he's using it excessively. Because this very fruit, this very thing that can really only happen if we're connected to Jesus, the kind of love that actually is willing to give up yourself for another completely, it only can be had by a connection with Him. And so look at what he says here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. My connection with the Father allows me to pass the love on. Then he said, now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Now you notice in the middle of this passage, some words that we don't like too much. Obey and command. I mean, if you say, if you hear someone say, come on over here, I've got something I want you to do. I need to command you. Do you run over? You know, are we really looking for that in our lives? But if someone says, come over here and I'll encourage you in whatever freedom you want, we might go, hey, tell me more about that. How does this work? But let me say this. Jesus is putting obedience in a context that we can't deny its value. He's saying, obey as I have obeyed. You know, you think about Jesus loving you. I think we can often just sort of picture Jesus just having only these warm and fuzzy feelings about us. Jesus loves me. This I know. Do you think we're that easy to love? Let's just be honest. Do you think Jesus just looks at us every time and gets all the warm and fuzzies? Because Tam is so cute. You know? Yeah, I know he's got a little problem here. That, you know, and Now he really loves us, but I want to understand something. This love that Jesus has for us costs him. This isn't some sort of cheap little feeling. This love is a commitment to do the right thing no matter what, even if it costs him his life. And that's why Jesus doesn't hesitate to use the word obey. Because the only way we'll ever begin to love like Jesus is by making a commitment and a decision to imitate Him. To follow Him. To to remain in Him. We can't love like Him without His strength and without His power. You know, He says love. He says obey. Because being in Christ is all about love. But remaining in Christ is all about obedience. It's all about staying faithful to Him. And how does Jesus feel about our faithfulness? He goes, do this please, so that my joy will be in you, my joy will be complete. I want you to have what I have. Jesus came from heaven so that we could have a heavenly Father. Up until then, He had them all to Himself. But Jesus came to share with us 
a relationship that we can only have in Him. And so Jesus said, I've obeyed and I call you to obey. I've remained in my Father's love. Now you remain in my love. The human story with God is all about love. Just look at these verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The beginning of our story, before the creation of the universe, was that God already decided, I'm going to create these beings and I will love them. And He already knew, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, that it would cost Him the sacrifice of His Son. And He loved us nonetheless. We talk about to death do us part. What kind of commitment did God make in loving us? He loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son. And His reason was so that we could have eternal life. Look what Jesus said. John 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. This is the greatest love anyone could have. That we'd actually surrender our life for them. And you know, Jesus didn't just love in one big gesture. It wasn't simply on the cross. It was the day-to-day interactions with people. And He still loved them in that self-sacrificing way. What a challenge to love like Jesus. And so John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You know, Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament, the whole Old Covenant with just two simple commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other one was, love your neighbor as yourself. Interestingly, all of that was summed up in what? Two verses about love. Love will fulfill this. But the same is with what Jesus leaves us with now. Remain in my love. And then what do you do with that? You pass that love on. He's giving us love because that is the fruit that comes out of us with God. And that changes the relationships that we have in our life. The whole human story is rooted in love. It begins with love and the ending is happy only because of God's love. And so Jesus gave many commands to us. But the one recorded the most often is love one another. It is the most often because that is His plan and will for us. But when he says love, he's not saying have warm and fuzzies for one another. Do you struggle with warm and fuzzies for people around you? You know, even in your marriage you struggle occasionally with having the warm and fuzzies. But see, love is more than that. The warm and fuzzies come and they're awesome. But love is a commitment. Loving as Jesus loved is putting someone else above yourself. Loving as Jesus loved is a sacrificial love. But loving as Jesus loves is the only way that leads to eternal relationships. You know, let's just close with John 15, verses 14 to 17. You know, Jesus had said later, I no longer, before this, He said, I, oh, sorry, He says in verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, 
Because a servant does not know his master's business. We read that and go, great, I'm no longer a servant. But he just said, you're my friends if you do what I command. So you're still under his rule. There's still commands there. But what he's saying is, your service isn't as important to me as our relationship. What's the most important to me isn't your service, it's your relationship with me. And I want you to be my friends. The Son of God wants us as a friend. The God of heaven wants us as His children. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Do you realize because of Jesus, we can have friendships that will last forever? Where can you get that? Where is that advertised? Eternal friendships. You know, there's a website. Just a hundred pound subscription every month. You can have eternal friendships. That, that's not there. Because only God can give eternity to us as a gift. And He gives it in the form of eternal love. And He gives it in a way that we actually can pass it on to others. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. See, what's the most important thing here? What is this fruit that he was talking about, very much fruit? It's love. And the result of that is relationship. Because when we love as Christ, it connects us to Him. And we love as Christ, it connects us to others. It surrounds us with eternal friendship. And we can't have that any other way, except in Jesus Christ. Being his friend doesn't mean we don't need to obey. It simply means the relationship is more important even than the service. In fact, it's a partnership of love. We are really branches because we pass on what God gives us to people around us. Boy, how much better would the world be if the love of Jesus was overflowing? But Jesus has chosen this way, this method... It comes through Him and then it goes through His disciples. And then it goes out into the world. Now there's there's other issues, there's other blessings that God gives and God shows love in various ways. But the love that brings eternal relationship, it only comes through Jesus. And it's only in Him can we have this connection. So it's only through the power of God's love that we can truly bear fruit that will last. So Jesus' final words is simply love each other. You know, Tammy and I, we're not quite gone yet, but I'll just throw this out as today's final words. Love each other. That's what God wants. But this love isn't by our own definition. It was defined by Jesus. It's the kind of love that He showed us. It's a love that's willing to lay down yourself for another. It's a love that seeks the needs of others above one's own. This kind of love doesn't... This is hard to find because its truth and its essence is really only found in God Himself. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father and God, we're so grateful for Your rich blessings in Jesus Christ. And Father, it's an amazing picture that You've painted here for us that really it's about relationship that Jesus came. 
It isn't just that you wanted an army of people doing good. But Father, what you really wanted was a family and you wanted friends. You wanted people who love you and people who accept your love. But also people who are willing to imitate the kind of love that you demonstrated by sending Jesus and that Jesus demonstrated by laying down his life for us. Father, this kind of love would change the world. And Father, I I believe it will change our families, our marriages, our friendships. It will change who we are. And Father, the great thing about this love is, it's not coming because of circumstance, but it becomes out of connection with your son Jesus. Father, I thank you that my wife can love me as a wife, even when I'm failing because of her connection to Jesus. I'm praying that we can love each other as brothers and sisters, even when we've hurt each other's feelings or there's different things going on. Because we're connected to you, we can love We can offer forgiveness. We can, Father, be mindful of each other. And I really pray that we will just learn to do that more by remaining in your Son. Father, thank you for his example. He had no other ambition except to fulfill your will. And I pray that we see see the truth of it. If we would have that same priority, if we would seek your kingdom first and your righteousness above all things we would have the most blessed lives that we could ever imagine. Father, you are the loving, gracious, self-sacrificing God. Thank you for the message you've given us through Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for the chance to love as we've been loved. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.